Welcome to the One City Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people draw closer to God by practicing the way of Jesus. We hope that your time with us blesses you and that you're able to see the invitations of Jesus to experience the love that he has for you. Good evening, guys. Um, Yeah, I'm so glad that we get to enjoy this fall season. It's getting chilly, got a sweater on for the first time this year, but would love to pray for us before we start and just kind of prep our hearts. Tonight's message is going to be on hearing God. So it's very important. And I feel like oftentimes it's like when we want to hear the most, that's when the enemy comes trying to distract, rob our attention, or maybe even stirs up something from this past week, right? Drama or a conflict. So I just want to pray protection over us and just kind of open up our hearts and ears so that we can hear. So let me just do a quick prayer and then we'll just dive right in. So, Father, we just lift you up right now, Jesus. We ask that you just cover every single person here. We ask, Lord, that you would just help us to be able to identify your voice and to hear your voice the loudest out of all the other chatter and the noise that surrounds us. So Holy Spirit, won't you come right now? May you be glorified. May you guide and lead and stir up in our hearts. Pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Belgian theologian Edward Schellebex was once asked if he had to pick one story from the Bible to name our cultural moment in the late modern West, what story or text from the Bible would he choose? And he immediately said, Luke chapter 24, the road to Emmaus. In the story, it's about a couple who are walking towards an obscure town called Emmaus on Easter Sunday after Jesus was crucified. And with their spirits low and crushed, they walk aimlessly in confusion, melancholy, hopelessness, as they discuss all that has occurred. Jesus appears to them personally and engages in conversation with them, but they don't recognize the risen Christ in their midst. So if you think about it in both this first century context as well as our current 21st century time that we find ourselves in, don't you kind of also see like in our day and age, there's a lot of melancholy, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of hopelessness, and there's a lot of aimlessness. We have a hard time recognizing the risen Christ amidst our everyday ordinary lives as we continue along the spiritual journey. And oftentimes we are exhausted and cast down from this long journey of fidelity and obedience and the everyday ordinary mundaneness of life. When we first encounter the personal, powerful presence of God in our lives, think back to that moment when you just crossed the line, you're like, yes, God is real, right? You all had an undeniable moment when you were, you were like, God is real, Jesus is real, I'm accepting him into my heart. And most likely you experience this like hope, passion, renewal, and intimacy like never before. You know, we typically kind of go into the honeymoon phase where it's fairly easy for the most part, enjoyable to be able to passionately pursue God, to grow closer to him because it feels like he's, he's really trying to go out of his way to let you know that he is real and he's there. So he answers even like the silliest prayers, right? Like... And he's just like saying like, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But then as the years go by and you've been doing this for a while, you've been following Jesus, 
oftentimes we go through seasons where it feels like God has become more distant, that your prayers aren't being answered, that most of the time you aren't quite sure if he really is there or not, but you choose to believe so by faith. And sometimes you don't even know if your prayers are even being heard or if they have effect whether you pray them or not, right? But then a lot of us, like we not being able to handle this possibility and then also knowing theologically that God is always with us, what do we usually try to do in those moments of dryness is we try to press in more. Maybe we do more Bible studies. Maybe we do more prayer. Maybe we get involved with more church stuff. You know, doing more of anything to just bring back that initial spark and flame that you first felt when you began following him. But it usually leads to burnout. Or maybe you become disillusioned because nothing you do on your end is creating that intimacy and closeness that you had hoped for. I think many of us in the Western church, we're awesome at doing. We crush it when it comes to volunteering, food drives, serving, getting involved in ministries. Basically doing, doing, and then more doing, right? We are awesome at that. You know, we're great at the active form of spirituality where we, be the, we can be the driver and put in the work to further our development and growth, even in the spiritual life. But then as we mature in our journey, oftentimes God wants to wean us off of our own willpower and strength, and he invites us into more of a passive form of spirituality that looks a lot more like releasing, pausing, stopping, and surrendering which is built on trust. But the culture around us tells us that we become obsolete, worthless, undesirable if we stop being useful or productive or efficient or successful. So out of fear of becoming obsolete and forgotten, many of us work ourselves to death. We take on way too much commitments in our overscheduled calendars. We do whatever we can on our own strength to stay ahead so that we don't fall behind telling ourselves it's only just for a season. I know I'm working 120 hours a week, but it's only for a season, you know? But then slowly our souls become like a withered tree that's cut off from the source that nourishes and provides life. One psychologist and theologian said that it's not that we lack the desire to become deeper people, The single biggest obstacle and barrier for most people when it comes to developing a richer, deeper spiritual life is that we're simply too busy and without enough time. Our culture of nonstop productivity, busyness, and hurry is leading us to become people who are constantly fatigued, burnt out, distracted, isolated, and without any time to grow deeper in our spiritual life. Or some of us who don't go down the track of doing and doing and doing more, we, the other people, we usually tend to just slowly drift away. There's the doers and then there's the drifters. Others tend to kind of drift farther and farther away where their spiritual life is one that is kind of unfulfilling, it's boring, it's dry, it's complacent, but it's very safe, right? Usually they've settled in exchange for a comfortable life with some pretty sweet stuff along the way, like nice vacations, a nice home, eating brunch and having mimosas with friends on the weekends, financial stability and investments as a safety net for one day in the future. But at this point, it's almost like Jesus becomes like that hobby that we really, really enjoy, 
and we wish we had more time for, but instead of him being the central access point of our life that everything else revolves around, he becomes this hobby. You know, we tell ourselves that it's not realistic to have a relationship of God like what Moses had face-to-face in constant conversation. And we start to think that it's reserved only for the select few or the spiritual elites and the mystics. So that once burning flame in our heart becomes a dull habit as we tell ourselves that this is what a mature relationship with Jesus looks like. Boring, ordinary, and a semi-decent life without good morals so that we don't become an evil person. Following Jesus, pursuing him passionately, and feeling his presence and hearing his voice is easy when you are in a season when you are infatuated, on fire, or on the mountaintop. But the question I have for you guys today is, how do we remain faithful and patient in prayer? And most importantly, how do you hear the voice of God in seasons where we have more unanswered prayers than answered prayers, more silence than speaking, and more obscurity and uncertainty than certainty. In the long spiritual journey that is our life, it's crucial that we learn how to hear and listen for the voice of God in our lives so that we can be patient and hopeful in our prayer life, especially in seasons where it may be a challenge to do so. Because if it was a one-way conversation all the time, right? Imagine like you're just praying and it's always a one-way monologue you know, are you going to continue doing that? Like, what's the point? It's like it, talking to a wall would accomplish the very same thing, right? So learning to hear God's voice, that's what we're talking about today. His voice, his whip, whisper is the single most important thing that you will ever learn to do in this life. And it's not just for the contemplative mystics and the spiritual gurus. It's for everybody, It's literally the reason that you and I were created for. If you think back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God spoke these four words, let there be light, and hundreds of billions of galaxies were created. Psalm 33, 6 says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. So what would happen if this God who just breathed creation and billions of galaxies, if he were to speak a few words to me and you, what would happen? How life-changing would it be to be in constant communication with the king of the universe? But where it gets tricky is that God, for the most part, does not speak audibly the way we speak. And this means that we can easily misunderstand, misinterpret, or miss out altogether on what he is saying. The problem isn't that God isn't communicating or that we lack the capacity to hear, but rather we get easily disconnected, distracted, and distanced from the intimate and immediate connection that we were made for. So Jesus keeps it simple, relational, and down to earth like usual, right? In John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listens to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Meaning of sheep which are not high up on the list of the smartest creatures, if they can learn to recognize the, shepherd, the, the shepherd's voice, that gives us hope that we can too, right? In fact, the Bible says that your primary purpose, the reason you were born, is to enjoy a real conversational relationship with the Trinitarian God, which is why you almost certainly hear him already, more than you realize. 
God invites you to walk with him in daily conversations as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He desires to speak with you intimately as he did with Moses face to face. At times, he'll communicate through dreams, visions, audible voices, and prophecy as he did with Peter on the rooftop in Joppa. But most often, he will speak quietly in a still small voice as he did with Elijah on Mount Carmel, sounding surprisingly ordinary as he did when young Samuel confused his voice for that of the old man's next door. Throughout your life, the father never stops pursuing you. And just like the couple on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself comes to you and stirs your soul and engages in conversation with you, whether you recognize him or not. He journeys alongside you in the ordinary events of your everyday life. Jesus is the living, breathing, talking, walking word of God. So we're going to be taking a look at the Emmaus Road story. If you have our Bibles, open up to Luke 24. We are going to be there for a while. Um, So I'm going to start by painting a picture of what's going on here in the text. In Luke 24, 13, it starts with two disciples of Jesus who are walking down the road to Emmaus with their heads hung low as they discuss the horrific events that took place in Jerusalem. Just imagine, there's almost like a weariness, a heaviness in their steps, as if the world has ended. Jesus approaches a couple asking what the two of them are discussing together, and the two don't recognize them. So they stood still with their faces downcast, while one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And I love this. Jesus' funny irony right here is like, what things? Like, he's the only person who knows everything about what's happened. And then they say, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as a woman has said, but they did not see Jesus. So this stranger that has now joined the couple in their journey seems to be caught up in the things that they're recounting, but somehow he doesn't seem distressed, impressed, or surprised by by what they're telling him. So then after letting out a sigh, right, he goes, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All of their lives, they grew up hearing about these stories of Abraham and Moses, right? These two were Jewish. They grew up hearing, memorizing the law, the book of the prophets. But the way that Jesus is now telling them on this road as they walk is igniting something indescribable in their hearts. It's stirring within them like never before. Insight after insight they have never heard before. And... At the pace that they're walking, especially when you're talking, you know, you can't really walk too fast. It was going to be a couple more hours before they reached Emmaus. So there was a lot of Bible study that was happening. But pretty soon they reach Emmaus. The sun's about to set. Dusk is approaching fast. And then it continues in the text. 
Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And then it struck me because what if they didn't stop him? Like, what if Jesus, like, it says that he was just, he, he wanted to keep going. And if he would have continued to walk and they didn't invite him in, they would have completely missed out on this opportunity to have communion with, with Jesus himself, right? And I was like, man, like, Jesus never forces his way in. He's always waiting for us to invite him in. And it just really struck me. So now we're going back to the scene. So they invite him in, and then there's, you know, smell of fresh bread in the, the house. The lamps are flickering. You know, they bring out the best wine because it's been a long day and a journey. They sit down at the table, and then Cleopas is about to bless the food in the usual way, but then this guest takes charge. And we continue reading. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Pete Gregg, in his book, How to Hear God, talks about this Emmaus Road story, and this is what he says about it. He says, here we find the covert Christ joining us on our journey through life. And we are reminded that we must proactively invite him into our questions, our relationships, and our homes. Here our hearts catch fire and the scriptures come alive. Here he walks and talks with us, patiently answering our questions, realigning our thinking, and teaching us to pray. Here at the table we share the bread and the wine, remembering his death, and recognizing the reality of his resurrection right before our eyes. And here we are propelled out into the darkness as witnesses to the wonders we've seen." End of the quote. So the Emmaus Road story shows us a model of prayer, where within these few verses, it gives insight and wisdom into how God speaks and how we are to hear him speak more than any other passage anywhere else in the Gospels. Literally right here, this is a model of how we hear God and how he speaks to us, the most out of all the Gospels. Just in these 20 verses, we see how God speaks conversationally as they walked and talked and discussed these things with each other. Um, exegetically, when he explained all the scriptures concerning himself. Sacramentally, when he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Prophetically, when their eyes were opened and inwardly when he spoke directly to their hearts, which were burning while he talked. And this isn't an exhaustive list of the ways that God can speak to us, but it's really encouraging because for every person who encounters Jesus dramatically on the Damascus Road, there's hundreds more who meet him slowly and quietly, incognito on the Emmaus Road through friendship, scripture, and conversation. Guys, the most important and the ultimate way that God speaks to us is not through the Bible, as some evangelicals might put it. It's not through the breaking of bread, as sacramentalists would insist. It's not through hearts burning within, as the contemplatives might say. But the most important and the ultimate way that God speaks to us
is through Jesus Christ himself. John 1.1 says that he is the living, breathing word of God who animates and brings to life every other word that God may speak into our lives. On the road to Emmaus, if you think about it, Jesus doesn't send a Bible. He doesn't send an angelic messenger. He doesn't give them a sudden epiphany or revelation. It's not an earth-shattering, supernatural act of God to the couple, but rather we see Jesus going to great lengths to appear to them personally, taking at least an hour to explain what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. On another occasion in John 5, 39-40, Jesus makes it clear that it's possible to study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But then he adds, these are the very scriptures that you te testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Or in Hebrews 1, uh, 1-2, the writer makes a similar point. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. Jesus is saying that it's entirely possible to hold a very high value of God and the Bible and to completely miss out on encountering the person and presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, even with a very solid Bible plan and diligently reading it every single day for your quiet time. And an intellectual approach in the study of scriptures by understanding the historical context, the background information, is good and essential if we're taking scripture seriously. But when we come to scripture purely from an informational posture to gain information and knowledge, to develop and master understanding of what's written inside, but we fail to come to it from a formational posture of openness, wonder, humility, we miss out on the chance for the sacred text to form and transform us, and we can actually miss out on the person of Jesus. So what this means for us is that hearing God begins and ends with meeting Jesus. We understand the Bible in the light of Christ and not the other way around. Every other way in which God communicates through Jesus and points back to him. Dreams, visions, prophecies all point back to Jesus. And nothing else can replace a personal encounter of Jesus, and nothing matters more. As C.S. Lewis said, it is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. So, I know some of you guys might be thinking with, you know, with all this focus on the person of Jesus, does that take away from the authority of the Bible as God's word? But nothing could be further from the truth. The Bible is the primary way that we become familiar with the purposes and the personality of Jesus. And we see it here in the Emmaus Road, the synergistic interplay and the dance between God's word in the Bible and his final word in Jesus. Each one points to the other. Our individual personal encounters of Jesus are counterbalanced by our examination of his word in the Bible. Hearing God begins with Jesus and leads us immediately to the scriptures which in turn points us back to Christ. So this is why any revelation that claims to be from God, but doesn't sound like Jesus or fails to push us deeper into a relationship with Jesus, 
is not of Jesus, no matter how supernatural it seems or how profound and insightful it may be, or how many Bible verses come wrapped around its delivery. It must always align with the person and character of Jesus and lead us into deeper intimacy with him. However wonderful an experience may be, the Bible remains the primary vehicle of truth for followers of Jesus, whether we feel it or not. And it's the main way in which we hear God speak. All the other ways that God speaks to us are transient. Dreams and visions will pass away. Prophecies speak for a season. But 1 Peter 24, 25 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Or Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The religious knowledge of the couple on the Emmaus Road would have been extensive. They, they were very educated. They knew their scripture. They knew what they were talking about. But when they encountered the risen Christ, everything, including their understanding of the scriptures, had to change. And my goal isn't to make you more informed or knowledgeable or even better at hearing God. My goal for you guys is that we would become people who can discern his voice only insofar as it brings us closer to Jesus. People who truly know him and personally and actively live life with him daily. If we're just learning to hear God's voice just to hear his voice, but that it's failing to bring us closer to him, we're missing the point. You know, that's just for bragging rights. Like, yeah, I, I can hear the voice of God. He speaks to me. But it's like, is he drawing you closer? So recently, I was away for a personal retreat with God in the wilderness of Kings Canyon without any cell reception, which is wonderful. And during that trip, I had a powerful encounter of Jesus, as some of you may know. And it was primarily mediated through the Word of God. I'm going to be very honest here. Scripture has always been a struggle for me. It's always been something that I, 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 I did not naturally gravitate to. I read a lot. Prayer was always more natural, but I've always struggled with the text because I came from it with an intellectual approach to it primarily. I always came like, man, what is this going to teach me? What am I going to get out of this? And I always felt like it was often dry or that I've exhausted it because I read all the commentaries. I knew the historical back background. I read it multiple times. I'm like, man, this is, this, is, this is a struggle for me, but I know it's important. But on this one trip, this particular trip, Jesus drew near to me like he did to the road, uh, to the couple on the road to Emmaus. And not surprisingly, he began speaking to me through stories and parables and passages of scripture. So to my surprise, I ended up meditating and thinking and engaging with the word of God this whole trip unintentionally. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was planning. But then Jesus spoke to me all the scriptures that concerned himself, right? Just like he did with the couple. And it was such a life-changing experience that occurred in such a subtle, organic, unforced, and surprisingly ordinary way. And I just remember, like, it wasn't, like, very loud and in my face. It wasn't like, oh, my God, the Lord is here, and he's, like, putting these, like, words in me. But I remember just, like, after just kind of coming down from the mountain, how my heart was burning within me as these passages of Scripture would float into my mind as Jesus and the Holy Spirit would whisper the Father's heart right into my conscience. And that engagement with Jesus left me hungry for his word because I found that it's through the scriptures that I come to be able to intimately and personally know Jesus 
And it's through these pages of scripture that I feel and encounter the person and the presence of Jesus more powerfully and regularly than anything else I've ever experienced. And I found what it means to be like a tree planted by a river as I allow his word to soak into my heart and my soul. So I know we've talked a little bit about the primary means by which God speaks to us and how it's Jesus is the most important part of that encounter with Jesus has to be counterbalanced by the word of God in the Bible. But how can we apply this insight to our daily lives so that we too can walk alongside, talk, and break bread with Jesus himself? And I think there's three movements that I would like to go into, which is to pause, to rest, and to give thanks. So first, pause. Many of us don't know how to stop or to slow down enough to be able to be receptive to how Jesus may be engaging with us in our day-to-day lives. We may be reading the Bible regularly right now, but we are also living in an age of muchness and manyness, and the pace of life has been drastically increasing with no signs of slowing down. If you think about it, when we're in a hurry, it kills our spiritual life. Any chance at a rich, deep life in God And it basically does the same thing that sin does, which is to disconnect us from God. Dallas Willard once called hurry the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. When we're constantly cramming our schedules and have things to do back to back without any sort of margin, we begin to hoard the precious free time that we do have remaining. But at this point, many of us are just way too tired to do anything life-giving like prayer or engaging with God, so instead we usually turn to our choice of mind-numbing comfort to veg out and relax. All the while our souls are just kind of withering away and just kind of keeps going at a, it's like a slow death, you know. And then when we pause, it's vital to slow down because it allows our soul to catch up. Too often we go through life and our day-to-day at such a rapid pace that we hardly have the time or space to truly allow the scriptures and the voice of God to soak into our hearts. When we're in a hurry, we are in a posture that is unable to receive from God because we don't allow for interruptions and we won't be able to stop in our journey and walk alongside and talk with Christ on the road. If you think about the Emmaus Road story, if you're in a hurry and this dude that you don't know comes up to you and you're just like, I'm too busy, I can't be interrupted, you're gonna miss out on that encounter, right? A lot of Jesus' miracles and ministry happened when he was interrupted. Healings happened. Signs and wonders all happened through interruptions. And I remember recently I was practicing, I'm practicing a Sabbath, like a real Sabbath, like a 24-hour trying to like resist the culture of like consumerism and productivity. And Sunday is my Sabbath, so I intentionally try to be off my phone. I try to shut down productivity. I try to like pause and slow down and not just be a consumer and veg out. And I remember there was an interruption this past weekend where I bumped into some old friends from my previous church. And normally I'd be just like way too much in a hurry to even say yes. You know, I'm very much like, I don't like to make commitments, especially if it might be too long, but because that whole day I was learning how to pause and slow down, I was more receptive to being interrupted. So I thought, you know, what the heck? Like, he ended up reaching out to me. He's like, hey, come over to the house, you know, pick up some banana bread. I'm like, sure, like, <laughs> like, why not? So 
I ended up going, and when I got there, I didn't, I didn't know that they were going through a hard time spiritually. And I was actually feeling really lonely that day. Very lonely, you know, like when you shut down your phone and you're not busy and you're not preoccupied, a lot of stuff comes up to the surface. And I was like, man, like, I am so lonely, but I usually don't notice this because I'm just keeping myself so busy. And what they didn't know was that they were ministering to me so heavily through this like invitation to just sit at the table with them when I went to pick up some banana bread. And I ended up ministering to them who was going through a hard time spiritually and just being able to talk and listen to them. And that was a highlight of my Sabbath because I allowed one interruption and I would have totally missed out on that blessing if I was in a rush or a hurry. Right? So first, we must learn how to pause. Like, man, like even if you're reading scripture, are you pausing before you c- come to scripture? Are you pausing before you come to meet with the Lord? Are you pausing and slowing down enough so that your soul can actually be receptive to Jesus there with you? So second, we must rest. In 1 Kings 19, 5-8, um, we see Elijah, who is a prophet. He's weary. He's exhausted. He's the suicidal prophet that says that he wants to end his life. And if you guys know this story, God prescribes to Elijah sleep, food, rest, repeat before he speaks to him. Before Elijah was able to take on the journey ahead of him and hear God, he needed to allow himself to rest. You know, too often we try to tackle on the spiritual journey with everything else in life going on at a semi-perpetual state of burnout and exhaustion, and we wonder why it's so hard to hear God speaking through his word. Sometimes the most spiritual practice you can do is just to get some more sleep. You know, there's nothing, nothing hyper-spiritual about it. Getting more sleep can literally do wonders to allow yourselves to become more in tune with all the gifts that God is showering with you throughout the day and just be more receptive to Jesus because you're feeling better, your mood's better, you're, you're cognitively functioning better, you're just rested. Jesus himself frequently rested and took naps and understood the need to stop and rest. In his most famous of the Psalms in Psalm 23, it begins with, he makes me lie down in green pastures, right? That comes before the, he guides me along right paths part. Because we see again how rest is a place that we must embark from in any journey if we are to meet with Jesus. But not only do we need physical rest through sleeping and slowing down, we also need to learn how to rest in the silence with God, to rest from the constant barrage of noise and distractions that assault us daily. If there's any C.S. Lewis fans, um, he has a book called The Screwtape Letters, where he reveals one very interesting plan of the devil. the devil's plan to drive us away from God. He writes how Satan chooses to distract us with noise because he knows that if we are overrun by countless distractions, that we will be unable to hear the voice of God in silence. So it's important to take note that God works in the silence while Satan strives to fill that silence with many distractions and noise. Silence is a key way to hear God's voice, but unfortunately, our world's been saturated by noise. In the secret place, we learn to wait upon God in silence, clearing out all the clutter and the noise that try to rob us of our attention and focus. And by learning to rest in the silence of God, 
this is actually like an advanced form of prayer that makes the enemy tremble. Like it scares the enemy because it allows you to cut through all the other noise, all the other chatter, and hear the voice of God more clearly in your life. Learning to rest both physically and to rest in silence with Jesus will be essential in the long run. And then lastly, the third part is give thanks. So we've talked about pause, rest, and lastly, give thanks. We see in the Emmaus Road story that when, when was the couple's eyes open, right? When, when did they realize that Jesus was there amongst them? It was at the end of the day when they were giving thanks and gratitude and breaking bread. Gratitude allows us to see more clearly all the different gifts that God has showered us with throughout the day and all the ways that he was tenderly, lovingly, intentionally with you throughout the day. Most of the time, we're so preoccupied with what is to come in the future, which ends up causing anxiety, or at times we dwell on the past, which is depression. But gratitude counters both and grounds you in the present moment. It allows you to be grateful for all that you have and to see all of life as a blessing from God. But we're talking about true, emotionally honest gratitude, not just false optimism to stay in a state of denial, You know, the true, honestly, uh, emotional form of gratitude is going to allow you to see the good, the bad, the ugly of whatever you may be going through in a given season. But it also allows your heart to be soft and tender to the love of God that never stops washing over you. It isn't based on your external circumstances to be perfect and flawless. It gives you a deep sense of peace, joy, and contentment in whatever season you may find yourself in because you know that your Father is good. Gratitude opens our eyes and our hearts to the movements of the Spirit and allows us to see the gifts and the ways in which Jesus is intimately with us. By learning to slow down, eliminate hurry, allow for interruptions, to rest deeply both physically and also in the silence with God, and to give thanks and cultivate gratitude daily, I believe that the word of God that may have been dry, arid, distant, or vague will begin to become more and more clear as we learn to live in radical defiance to the ways of the world. You know, this is a radical form of defiance to be able to slow down, to be people who are not addicted to noise, to be people who fight cynicism, pursue wonder, choose joy in a world that does everything the opposite, right? You're gonna stand out when you decide to defy against the powers of the world. Because the truth is, guys, there are powers and spirits and principalities that are set on keeping you in a state of constant fatigue, burnout, skepticism, cynicism, and fear. This is beyond any human force. There are real powers invested in making sure that you're always tired, distracted, and not trusting God. But I wonder what would happen if one city church were to become a people who learn to live and follow the pace of our master Jesus at an unhurried pace, with gratitude in our hearts, a hunger for his word, his voice. What would happen to you and I if we allowed ourselves to cultivate an inner silence that cuts through all the chatter and the noise and the distractions so that we can hear God telling us that he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. 
And what if we became a people of his word and daily encounter the radical love of Christ in our ordinary day-to-day myths so that we may bring the kingdom here as it is in heaven? And I think that's my prayer for you guys is that wherever you are in your journey, and maybe you meet the Lord every single day through scripture, like great, amazing. I, I pray blessings that that just continues to go deeper and deeper. But maybe for some of the... For some of us, maybe it's, it's been a dry season. Maybe it's been harder to hear God. Maybe you're so smart and you, intellectually you can grasp all of it, but maybe you're missing that heart connection with the Lord, and it's been a while since you had a heart connection. Wherever you may be, my hope and prayer is that just as the couple who was walking with their heads cast down, hearts heavy, into day-to-day ordinariness of life, my prayer is that Jesus would draw near to you personally, intimately, invite you into the questions, the struggles, the doubts, the joy, the happiness, and that he would open your eyes a little bit more each day to how he is inviting you to the table, breaking bread with you, speaking blessing over you. So guys, let's pray. Father, we just, um, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would draw near to us as you did to the couple on the road to Emmaus. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us in ways that every single one of us here would understand, Lord. Won't you meet us in a way where we can encounter and and know tangibly that it is you, Lord Jesus, that is drawing near? I pray, Father, that their hearts would just burn within them, Lord, that your word would just come to life, that it would just sustain them, that we would become a people that would know how to discern and listen to your voice, to be led by your voice and your word. So Jesus, I pray, Lord, won't you just come near right now? Won't you just open our eyes, fill our hearts with gratitude? Show us, Lord, all the ways that you have been with us, Jesus. So Father, we just bless you right now and we ask that you bless us. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.